We're going to start off today with a simple trivia game. I've got ten questions for you. You're not going to need a paper, pen, pencil. You can do this mentally um, in theory. It's a simple trivia game. Ten questions, two answers. All I want you to do is remember how many you get right, okay? Number one. When Neil Armstrong first stepped on the moon, which foot touched first, left or right? I want you to remember your answer. Register if you're right or wrong. The answer is left. You thought it was both, didn't you? You thought this was a trick question. The trick question comes later. Number two, which can last longer without water, a camel or a rat? <laughs> what a weird question. Answer is rat. So remember, if you've gotten the first one right, second one wrong, how many do you have right? Um, if you've got the first two right, great. If you've got one of them right, great. If you've got zero right, just go ahead and make your exit out. No. <laughs> Number three, true or false? Japan has square watermelons. True. I heard some falses out there. You think you know. Number four, which would you die of first, starvation or lack of sleep? Answer, lack of sleep. I know I would. I know I would. Number five, all polar bears are witch-handed, right or left? Who knows? Left. Number five. Number six. Who blinks more often, men or women? The answer, women. Keep, keep track of how many you've got right as we go here. Number seven, true or false? Barn owls snore. <laughs> Apparently it's true. Uh, number eight, what is America's favorite flavor of Lifesaver? With apologies to Lifesaver for not having a capital L and a TM next to it. Apparently we probably... Oh, the millions now. Cherry or orange? Cherry. Number nine. People who tuck in, and, and, and don't start making assumptions about people who tuck or untuck. I'm a good tipper, tell you what. People who tuck in their shirts are better tippers or worse tippers? Everybody's like, worse. I tuck in my shirt. Worse. Number 10, which have more friends, people who drive sports cars or people who drive SUVs? Duh, sports cars. And one more that's a curveball bonus question, which do I prefer, Coke or Pepsi? <laughs> Neither, I prefer coffee. Anybody get all 11 right? Anybody, all 11? Nobody in first service either. Anybody 10 right? Whoa, we have somebody with 10. Jason McCoy, you're the man. Nobody in first service got 10. How about somebody who got between 6 and 9? Raise your hand if you got between 6 and 9. Okay. Now we're probably talking, and, and mercifully, the game worked as it planned, as I planned for it to work. Statistically, about half of you are on the, the, the right side of this, and half of you are wrong. How many got five or fewer? <laughs> silly trivia game what's the point of doing a trivia game when you don't know how the answer is going to play out here's the point the point is you can't 
win unless you just happen to guess well. I mean, it's a game of, of luck. It's just a simple trivia game where, where knowing something, your life's experience, uh, really doesn't have a whole lot to do with whether or not you get the answer right. I mean, a few of me might make assumptions like, you know, why would he be asking camel or rat unless it's rat? Because everybody knows it's camel, right? I mean, you can make some assumptions. But basically, you don't get the game right unless you just guess well, unless you're lucky, uh, which means, basically, that's a feeling, that's a form of powerlessness. I know it's a simple trivia game. I know it's kind of unimportant. doesn't matter who wins, although, Jason, you get a parting gift. It's a, it's a feeling of not having control over whether you get the information correct. And unless, which I doubt is the case for any of us, unless you've got some window into the obscure world of empirical data about whether or not people who untuck are or aren't good tippers, then you're not going to have the information that you need to to get the answer right. You're just kind of powerless to give the correct answer. Now, That's just a simple trivia game. But what we've started now is an example of the feeling of powerlessness that has a long continuum from something as unimportant as that simple trivia game on this hand all the way to a whole bunch of things that happen in our lives that are not insignificant. Have you ever had a moment where you felt totally powerless, just completely helpless, in a situation, one of those moments where you find yourself wishing you could do something to change it, wishing you had more control over the situation, but you had no power uh, to change it. That feeling of powerlessness is something we all experience, and we all experience it at various levels on this continuum. Maybe it's something as relatively small, like on this side, just a little bit short of simple trivia game, like something that I know I experienced a lot as a kid in the back seat of the car, riding in the back seat of a car on a long trip with a scary driver where every turn and every stop gives you whiplash and becomes an opportunity you know, for, for prayer, basically. You ever been in that, that kind of situation in a car? And I'm not going to name names, but I, I used to experience this all the time as a kid with uh, the person who was the driver in my family who wasn't my mother. Sitting in the back seat, feeling like, Lord, if it isn't your providence that gets us to our destination, it's not going to happen. That's a feeling of powerlessness, where, you, where your only form of control is, is basically just tighten the seatbelt and, and pray that, that you get there safely. I mean, that's a form of powerlessness that's just sort of this side of a you know, simple trivia game. Maybe it's something a little more frustrating a little more problematic and frustrating, uh, like a coach. A coach who has a favorite on the team. And even though you know that you work harder, you're more skilled, you add more value to this team, you're there on time for practice, this coach has a favorite on the team. And the reason that that favorite gets to play more while you're sitting on the bench is simply because that coach shares the same last name as the favorite player. And that's frustrating. That's a, little, that's a little more like, gnaws at you. Now those are, in the whole scheme of things, relatively, relatively small things that can be frustrating. I mean, in the whole scheme of things, it's one thing uh, to be frustrated about the ride, but if you get there in one piece, we're good. 
Man, I'm frustrated about not getting the playing time that I think I deserve, being passed over by a coach on a team. But that probably shouldn't alter the course of my entire life. I mean, it's something I can kind of get over. But, but when we start to get to this side of the continuum, we're talking about the kinds of, kinds of powerlessness that we experience that can be more like what we might call trauma. Maybe you've experienced those kinds of things. Things like being bullied at school. A whole bunch of name-calling that happens over time that can be little paper cuts in our lives that, that together become the way we think about ourselves, the way we act, the way we speak about ourselves. Maybe you've experienced a boss, a boss whose personal insecurities are masked by an abuse of authority, and you, seems more than anybody else, are the one who gets the brunt of that abuse of authority. Uh, Statistically, we're still talking about people in this room with this one. Maybe you've experienced a spouse who hit you, who verbally abused you, who was emotionally aggressive. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've been abused by someone who you once trusted. Now we're squarely on this side of the continuum. If you've experienced any of these kinds of powerlessness, all the way from simple trivia to outright abuse, then you've experienced the utter frustration of being violated when there's nothing you can do to change it or to stop it. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was someone in your own family. Most likely it's someone close to you, actually. But you felt powerless. You felt like there was nothing in your control over the situation. And when somebody makes a decision for you, you feel powerless. And when that happens to us, when that happens to us, emotions well up quickly. In fact, neuroscience tells us emotions well up before we can think about it. You feel frustrated. You feel this, you feel this clear sense of injustice. You, you are sure that you've been violated. And when somebody has that kind of power over us, when someone else's power play against us in relationships makes us feel small and makes us feel powerless, out of control, we often react. There are few ways we react, but we often react, and this is what Scripture in Romans 12 will talk to specifically, we often react by trying to do everything we can in our power to even the score. We try everything in our power to right the wrongs, to pay back that jerk who hurt us, to settle the score. On the inside, we, we feel they need, they need to feel as badly as I feel. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to do everything I, I can to make sure that they do. And listen, slights, both big and small, can easily become excuses for us to lash out. And it's not just lashing out at the other person. Sometimes we lash 
out at us, at ourselves. And it doesn't take many years, doesn't, doesn't take much experience to learn the lesson, to realize that honestly, that kind of lashing out, whether against others or oneself, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Which is to say, and this is something we'll see in the text, you can't actually get even. There is no righting the wrong of sin in your power. And when you try to, you end up making a casualty of yourself in ways that are in keeping with the way you've been hurt. You just end up recreating that same trauma for yourself and for others. So things just actually end up being worse. When the tactic of making up for that is getting even. You see, the answer the Bible gives to us in that circumstance, in those situations, is a radically opposite kind of response than getting even. Look at Romans 12 with me. This is Paul's letter to the Romans here in uh, Romans 12. Romans 12, verses 17 through 21. And the answer the Bible gives to us in these situations is the exact opposite kind of response as we tend to, to make... Look at verse 17. It says it flat out at the beginning. Repay no one evil for evil. <laughs> Wait, what? Repay no one evil for evil? I mean, that's a pretty definitive statement. It doesn't just say like, repay the people you especially like. Repay the people who are like you. No evil for evil. It says, repay no one evil for evil. Keep reading. Not only that, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. No one is pretty definitive. All pretty definitive. So Paul here is telling the Christians in Rome, he's telling the Christians here to repay no one evil for evil, but rather to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Which is, think about it, that's crazy talk. And we know here that Paul's not just talking about within believers. He's talking about with all, with all. And we'll see that later on in the text when he talks about caring for one's enemy. Paul is not just talking here about the people who are like us or the people who we like. He's talking in this part of Scripture. He's actually making a transition where he's just talked about those within the body, those who are like us, who are Christians. He talks about one another. And then this part of it, he's making a transition to talk about everybody around us, believer and non-believer alike, as he goes into Romans 13 to talk about how we operate with the government. You see the transition there. So Paul's talking here. He's talking here to a group of people who were in a context in Rome where it was, it was not fun. It was not easy to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. He's writing here in 17 to 21 to Christians who were occasionally fed to lions. He's writing to a context where the heads of Christians, where the heads of Christians were sometimes uh, splayed onto a spear or a stick and used as a torch just because the government official needed light for a party. And we're not talking here about these small slights over here. This isn't simple trivia games or a ride in the seat of a car. 
Paul's writing to Christians who in the whole scheme of things have what we would call just cause to get even. But he says this, verse 17, crazy talk. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Even when you're slighted, maybe you have a just cause in your mind to repay. He says, do what is honorable because it's the Lord's honor you're upholding, not yours. Key, key distinction. This isn't your honor you're upholding. It's not your honor you're upholding. It's the Lord's honor. So, great. (laughs) Now we're powerless. And what you're telling me to do in this situation is to not strike back the evil done for me with more evil, but to actually do something that would uphold the honor of God in this circumstance. Is that really what I'm supposed to do? Yeah, here's what it is. Keep reading. Keep reading. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As best as you can, live at peace with all. This is actually much more uh, of a powerful play than it seems. This is the kind of Christ-like behavior This is the kind of Christ-like behavior that God uses to change people. See, we think if we're wronged in a circumstance, we're going to change them by by evening the score, by by settling it. That's not going to change anybody's heart. Is that how God operated with us? No. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, which is to say... You do have a power play, but the power play in this circumstance isn't what we think. It's not what we've been trained to do. It's not how the world responds to being wronged. The power play in this kind of example, the power play for us is peace. It's the most powerful play we can make. So Paul says, if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, do what you can, which is the power play of peace. Now, as soon as as soon as we get to that point, I know some of you in your, in your minds are, are having all these yeah buts. <laughs> yeah, but you don't know my. You don't know what happened. You don't know what she said. You don't know what he did. I get it. I get it. That's hard. Responding with peace in the face of evil uh, can be really hard. But remember who Paul's talking to here. We're not talking about people with small problems on this side of things. I mean, some of them were being killed for sport. In a whole host of ways beyond that kind of extreme, being a Christian in that environment in Rome would, uh, would be very dangerous. and would be called suffering by every last one of us. But Paul didn't begin here by talking about what they did He begins here by talking about what we can do. Big difference. He's telling us to quit focusing on what someone else did and begin focusing on what you can do. And if you'll see it, there is a a simple but profound truth about the way Christians live this side of the cross in this idea that peace is the most powerful play we have. Because when you see it, you realize that's actually the most powerful thing you can possibly do. And it's actually the most powerful play ever made. Because it's a reflection 
of the most powerful play that God made for us. Friends, the Christian life is meant to mask, uh, is meant to, to match the life of Christ, which is to say that, that the Christian life is about pursuing behavior that has that kind of Christ-like, godly impact on all around you and in every situation. So when you feel unjustly violated, when somebody else powers a, up against you, unfairly, uh, maybe even unjustly, even then peace is the most powerful play. And here's the really cool thing. What Paul is teaching here isn't just uh, to roll over and play dead, though Jesus may call you to that, but he's saying you actually have the, the best, most powerful play in all the universe when you respond in a way that's like Jesus, when you respond in a way that is peaceful. Peace is the most powerful play because it does, like it says in the next verse, it does what you can do And it leaves up to God what you can't do. This is big. Look at the next verse. Verse 19. Verse 19 says, Beloved, never, and that's a pretty definitive word there, never, just like where it says no one in all in the previous verses there. This word never here is a pretty definitive word. Behold, uh, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge avenge yourselves. Don't try to carry out ultimate justice by yourself. He says this, vengeance is mine. Leave it to the wrath of God. Leave to God what only he can do. Deuteronomy 32 is where we get this in the first place. It's quoted a few other times and referred to in scripture a few other times, especially here. Vengeance is mine I will repay, he says. He's, 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 saying, he's saying, you don't even have the tools to repay. You don't, you don't have the tools. I don't have the tools to mete out ultimate justice. It cannot be done by any human being, which is to say human revenge is an oxymoron and doesn't actually exist. It's the same kind of issue with your own sin. What, what, what did you do with that? How did you, how did you settle that score? <laughs> God made a powerful play of peace in taking on that sin for you. And only a perfect, sinless creator of the universe who was without sin is able to do something about that sin and to bring justice. Don't buy into the lie that there's this, there's this place from which you are justified in meeting out what only God can do. It says vengeance isn't even yours to make happen. Now I know, I know this flies in the face of a lot of what you feel, a lot of what you've experienced. But if you follow Jesus and you want to experience the cross, and you want to know the experience that he went through for you to know him, then you leave that vengeance to him. And you make the powerful play of peace, <laughs> which is exactly what Jesus did on the cross, the exact opposite of what we did to him, the exact opposite of what your enemy is doing to you. That's radical stuff. And one little point of clarification. Like it says in verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy, 
feed them. Like it says there, and we're going to get here in just a second. Doing something peaceful isn't the same as as agreeing with the evil done to you. It's not, it's, not, it's not saying, oh, that's an okay and good thing to do. That's not what we're saying. It's not the same as acquiescing to abuse. It's a proactive power play of peace. Look at how it says it there in Romans 12. In Romans 12, verse, uh, verse 20. And it says, to the contrary, instead of meeting out justice in ways you can't, to the contrary, if your enemy, and we said that this isn't just about people who you like or people who are like you, this is about, it says it right there, your enemies, those who oppose you, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Now listen, those who are enemies need to eat and drink. They have needs. And when we, we provide for some of those needs in a way that is peaceful like Jesus provided for our needs, what that does is it puts the ball back in their court and says, this is, this is how God worked it with me. So when we extend a peace as the most powerful play, we're saying, you, you have to reckon with God. Because that's how it works, the side of the cross. That's how it works, this side of the cross. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Which is to say that putting the ball back in the court of someone else isn't just another mechanism for us to actually get back. (laughs) No, no, no. Uh, when you do it in a godly manner that says you have to reckon with God for this evil because I'm demonstrating to you peace that I experienced from God. When we're doing that, we're saying you as the one who wronged me, you need to reckon with God in this. Which is to say we're a witness in those moments to the cross of Christ. He finishes up in verse 21 saying, Do not be overcome by evil which is a way of saying don't respond to the evil in a way that demonstrates more evil. Because when we do that, we've, we demonstrate that we've been overcome by that evil, responding in the same way that we were unjustly powered against. It says don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Same kind of thing that he says in verse 17 there. Just another way to say it. Overcome here is a really cool word. It's a really powerful word. Paul is saying that when you choose to live at peace with someone, you've already overcome what they've done to you. What a freeing way to live. What a freeing way to realize I I, I don't have to mete out the justice. And when you do that, when, when, when you make that power play of peace as your response to someone, that will, that will rob them of their power and put the ball of reconciliation with God back in their court. So friends, we have more power than we think we do. Don't buy into the lie 
that we don't have power. In fact, we have the most powerful play in all the universe. And, and the cool thing about this, even if you're not a Christian, maybe some of you today are like, I'm not sure about this whole God thing, that Jesus and sin and cross, and I'm not sure where I am in a relationship with God. Even if you're not a believer, this is your most powerful play. Put this to the test. And you'll begin to learn to see what, what Jesus did for you. Because what we've learned today is the most powerful play we have in all our relationships. I want to suggest three things for us moving forward. Two of which are things we can do by ourselves. Just internal sort of ways to recenter around this truth. Another is a little more of a challenge for us. The first one it's just a practical and simple way uh, to, to begin to live this out. The first thing is to just, <laughs> is just get over it with grace. It's just to get over it with grace. That's the first of these three little suggestions. Choose to uh, stop assuming that everyone else's behavior against us is a slight against us. Let me, let me say it this way. <laughs> we are amazingly good at explaining away our own frailties and failures by our environments. If anything happens, I can, I can explain why, oh, well, well, it's because of this, and then, then this happened, and, and so like when, when I didn't get this done, or I, I didn't do this right, or it's because of da-da-da, and, and really it's just because I'm, I'm a victim of my circumstance. We are like pros at that. But when it comes to the way somebody else treats us, somehow, the world around them and their environment doesn't even factor into our thinking. Instantly, that person has it in for me. That person is such a jerk. That person on the inside has this personal... Pro- they, their motivations are evil. Look at that contrast. We do this all the time in our lives. So the first suggestion is to just get over it with some grace. Begin to extend to others the grace that you assume needs to be extended to you and that God does extend to you. Seriously, you'll become a happier person. Instead of having to stock up all the small slights that are, that are more on this side, that become, as we put them together, things on this side, things just work better. You'll be happier. It will be okay. <laughs> when you learn to extend grace to people, to get over it by grace. The second thing is this. This is another internal thing uh, that we can do. It's a practice of peace for us. I know that my first response are lots of responses to when we're powered against flight, fear, fawning, uh, freaking out. Um, Mine is that last one, the sort of freaking out, you know, fighting. Like like when somebody powers up against me, I just want to be like, it's on. I, I, want, I want to be like Jesus and say, peace is my first response. So, so my second suggestion is just to pray for peace as your first response. When you get hurt, pray for peace. I mean, if you're like me, chances are peace is not your first inclination. Pray for peace. <laughs> it's a way to recenter your your heart and your mind around the cross, around the gospel, around what, what God did for us. Remember, God loves these other people every bit as much as He loves you. And it honors Him 
when you show them kindness. So practice praying for peace. Maybe, maybe in your mind, uh, in your prayer life, with people that you, know, you don't have a peaceful relationship with, pray for them and about them. The third is a more of a, a challenge. The challenge is simply uh, this week, even if in a small way, try to make a power play for peace. The first two suggestions are things you can do by yourself. This third one is something that's going to cost a little more. And listen, friends, if this isn't just a theory we've talked about and it's going to be a practice in our lives, then it's okay to make a practice of making a peaceful power play with somebody. I want to suggest that if there's some relationship, some personal relationship that you have where there is some tension over some sort of matter, uh, whether, whether it's something where you've been mistreated by somebody else or, or you've mistreated them, uh, whatever the case is, it's a good practice of peace for us to ensure that we make some sort of power play of peace where we leverage peace for the good of the relationship and God's glory in it. So it could be something as small as, hey, I just wanted to write you this little note that says, da-da-da, I've been praying for you. Um, It's maybe saying something like, hey, I know there's been this tension. I don't know if you feel it. I do. I just want to say I've been praying about it. I'm sorry for this part of it that I own. It doesn't have to be that fancy. It can be something tiny. It can be something small. It doesn't matter what it is, but, but make some sort of power play of peace in a personal relationship this week. And, and here's why we're asking you to do this. We want to hear about how that works for you. It may not go like we hope. Maybe, maybe you make your power play of peace and it doesn't go as you think, and you think, well, what am I supposed to learn here, God? And, and so what, what we want you to do is just two or three sentences, write down on your own, uh, share the story with us. Um, my power play in two or three sentences was this, and this person, here's the situation, and, and here's what happened, and they responded this way. And what we want to do is we want to we say the kingdom is at work among our people and tell those stories and begin to live out what we're talking about. So we want you to share those with us. If you uh, are willing to, we'd love to hear from you about that. Just two or three sentences. Keep it anonymous because we want to share next week about how this was lived out by us throughout the week. I'm, I'm going to do this just like I'm asking you to. And you can share your story at mypowerplay at fccgreenville.org. Now that'll get to us, mypowerplay at fccgreenville.org. You can email that to us. You can call it in. You can write it down, bring it in. Uh, tell us verbally. We would just love to um, tell the story of God's work in us as a congregation. So, Friends, we always, we always have the power to choose peace over pain. And when we do that, when we do that, our lives look more like Jesus' life did. And, and when we've done that, when we've gone as far as it depends on us, as it says there in Romans. When we've gone as far as it depends on us, then we can trust. Then we can trust that God's going to take care of the rest. Let's pray, friends. Lord, we're grateful that you do not leave us to our own devices. You do not leave us 
in the miry pit of sin that we have dug for ourselves. But you reached down to us and you made a power play for us to grab us out of our sin through the person of Jesus who died for us. What a beautiful picture of the love that motivated you to bring peace to our relationship with you. Lord, make of us men and women. Make of us a congregation. Make of us families and marriages and relationships where what operates between us is what we can do, is the part that does depend on us. is the part that we can do to repay good for evil. To overcome evil with good. To give back to others what you gave to us. Lord, teach us to do that. Continue to give us courage to do that. Lord, make of us uh, people whose lives look increasingly like the way that you behaved with us, the way that you dealt with us. We ask for this in the name of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. What we just talked about in that prayer is the good news of the gospel that makes possible for us a relationship of peace with God, a relationship of peace when we were in rebellion against Him, creating enmity, divide, division, Creating, creating a rift where we were the enemies. 